The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. What is inside of me? Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 164. This time around, we are talking to the amazing actor, Anna Sophia Robb, from the brand new horrifying series The Expecting available exclusively on the Quibi streaming service. The Expecting also stars Rory Culkin and Mira Sorvino. It's an incredible watch. If you want to check it out and you don't have Quibi, you can hit up Quibi.com that's Q-U-I-B-I and sign up for a free trial. All the episodes are delivered in under 10 minute increments and it's a constant cliffhanger. You'll dive into her experience making this tension filled roller coaster ride about a woman who wakes up in the woods one day with no recollection of why she is there to find out she is mysteriously pregnant. Hear about the haunted sets that make this experience all the more unsettling. The power of light, the process of working with American Psycho director Mary Heron, and much more. Episode 164 starts now. Hey, this is Anna Sophia Robb, and you're listening to another episode of the Terrifying Boo Crew. I woke up in the mud with all those cuts and bruises on me. Hello, Emma. I'm Dr. Green. How are you feeling today? It's gonna be okay. Everything looks just fine. In fact, the baby's growing very quickly. Oh my god. I guess she knows who you are. I don't know, I just worry. Of my hair and the nosebleeds. I keep losing weight. And having these horrible nightmares. We'll see what's going on. Something isn't right. I can feel it. Easy, it's just me. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is renowned actor and storyteller. One of her first roles instantly earned her a nomination for Best Performance in the award-winning An American Girl Holiday in 2004. She went on to projects like Tim Burton's Oscar-nominated Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's The Unforgettable Violet Beauregard. 
2007 saw her taking Best Leading Young Actress and Best Performance in a Feature Film for the six-time award-winning and iconic Bridge to Terabitha. That same year, she released The Reaping, starring alongside Hilary Swank and Idris Elba, directed by Elm Street 5, Predator 2, Judgment Night, and 24 director Stephen Hopkins. There was 2008 Sleepwalking with Charlize Theron, Race to Witch Mountain, and in 2011, her portrayal of the real-life Bethany Hamilton in Soul Surfer. She brought to life the high school version of Sex and the City's legendary Carrie Bradshaw and the CW's The Carrie Diaries and starred in countless film and TV projects from Mercy Street to the Golden Globe and Emmy winning The Act, the five-time Emmy-nominated Little Fires Everywhere, and much more. She exemplifies incredible diversity in her roles with strong characters that stick with you long after you step away from one of her works. With yearning and excitement to see where she will take you next and the interesting choices she'll make with which to take you there. Her latest is a brand new series available now exclusively on the Quibi streaming service. It's a wonderfully terrifying and immersive journey called The Expecting, also starring Rory Culkin and Mira Sorvino. We are honored to welcome Anna Sophia Robb. Yes! That was quite the intro. Thank you. They're like bringing me back to the beginning. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us to hang. Your work in The Expecting is so compelling and powerful. Congratulations on the release, first of all. Thank you. Are you a horror fan yourself? And if so, or if not, what was your earliest exposure as a viewer like for you to the genre? Yeah, so I wouldn't consider myself a horror fan. I'm, I'm nubile to the, uh, the genre, I would say. I took a Japanese cinema course in college and we watched a lot of horror old horror movies in that in that class and it really opened me up to the criticism that horror offers as a genre and I thought that was really interesting so I've become more I'm I'm such a scaredy cat I get so nervous like anytime I'm by myself all the horror movies come back but I've been really enjoying recent movies and I saw Get Out whenever it came out, and I remember that was sort of a turning point where I thought, whoa, this is a really cool medium to explore societal ills and trauma and all of these different topics in a way that can be really creative and sort of like push the boundaries and break rules. So I'm, I'm new. So if you have any recs, let me know. Well, speaking of that, speaking of exactly what you're talking about and that creative freedom that kind of exists in, in the genre as a storytelling device, what sorts of things do you like as a performer about playing in the genre space? Yeah. So I'll speak about the expecting because that's, I think it's a really good example of it. I mean, this, when I read the script, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. It moved really quickly. Part of it was because of the quibby-ness of it all with every 10 pages, there's an arc and there's like a cliffhanger. So it just goes, goes, goes. And you'll see it when you watch the episodes. It's like, Whoa, wait, it's over. What happens next? But then it's a horror. It's a body horror about pregnancy and like the weird effects that having some like, stranger or some alien creature in your body sucking all of your nutrients and you're you're a host essentially and it's true and I I guess I had never thought about pregnancy in that way before and I thought I watched Rosemary's Baby which I think is is very much um, a reference for for this project and thinking about 
just all the lack of control that you have as, as a mother, as the host mother. And, uh, and I was really drawn to it. And this sort of this character who she wakes up in the woods alone and she's naked and she doesn't know what happened to her. And then facing those consequences, does she keep it? Does she get rid of it? What can she afford to keep it? Can she afford to get rid of it? All of these sort of different decisions that I think a lot of women face that we don't get into the nitty gritty of, of that. It's just a blanket topic. So I liked that it took this magnified look at this one young woman and then infused it with some sci-fi elements. Being uh, so I have four kids, so I've been pregnant four times <laughs> and it is such a strange feeling like feeling something move inside of you and not having any control over your body. And like at one point I felt stuck. Oh, my gosh. Like this thing has to come out. I have no control. Like it dictates when I get up. Like it's crazy. How did you prepare? Like, did you watch Rosemary's Baby? But did you go on any maternity tours? Like, did you talk to pregnant women? Like, how did you get into that space? I talked to a lot of mothers Mary Heron, our director, she had had two kids. So we talked a lot about that on before and during uh, the whole thing. And then I watched, uh, there's this show called One Born Every Minute. It's on Amazon and it's just, it follows this hospital and you just watch birthing videos basically of like different women. And it's amazing to see the different kinds of pregnancies and the different kinds of births. And then it, it, just, it feels like sci-fi and I would watch it almost every night before going to bed while, while we were working to just think, and it just made me think constantly about my body and that experience. It's, it's terrifying. It's also completely miraculous. I'm fascinated. <laughs> Talking a bit about the director, Mary Heron, right, who brought us 2000s unforgettable American Psycho and I Shot Andy Warhol and Alias Grace. So much great stuff. What did you find the benchmarks of her directing style were and where she took you throughout this? Yeah, Mary is, I think with, with this movie in particular, it's, it's horror, right? It's fantastical. It's heightened. But as a viewer and watching it. And even when we were filming, it feels very grounded. And I think that is a, she has a, that is her stamp where there might be something absolutely crazy happening, but it doesn't feel too far out of reality. It feels like it could be happening. And that's just, I don't, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how she, she does that, but it's also just her, the energy. She wants everything to feel very natural. And I think that's also what makes this movie feel uncanny and her work in general, where the people are making wild decisions, but it doesn't feel far from the truth. And she's very laid back. She's very um, intense about the work and thoughtful, but nothing feels too precious. You know, she's not this like big egomaniac sort of, she, she gets fascinated by little things and focuses on them or wants a close up of something or will 
she's very collaborative, but, um, I just really, it was a, it was a really intense shoot. It was emotionally draining. It was physically draining. We had a crazy schedule, but she's very calm, like very much steady, steady in her presence and body. (laughs) That emotional journey that you take us on with Emma, we really feel every ounce of the anxiety your character's feeling, her confusion, all her emotions. How did you get yourself to such an elevated state? Was it shot chronologically? Was there anything going on behind the scenes that helped you get there? Yeah, I think I think that's a hard... People often say they have such fun making horror movies because they're like laughing. I didn't find that. I, I felt like very anxious all the time. Um, I think partly because of our shooting schedule and then also just the weight of what she's going through is slightly overwhelming. And there's a lot of loneliness. This character is very lonely. So there's a lot of scenes where she's just by herself sort of walking through the woods or experiencing things or experiencing pain. So that was, that was really intense. And then also our locations were just, we filmed at this mental hospital. It's an abandoned mental hospital. They did Shutter Island there. Um, it was working until I think the seventies. I mean, it's it recently closed, and I think the, the newest X Men they filmed there. Very weird energy, like very unsettling. So I think that really informed the energy that you watch as a, as a viewer. And then we filmed for a week or more. I can't remember. Time is an illusion um, <laughs> in the woods outside of Boston. So it was like cold and it was rainy and it was nighttime. And so that was really intense, but also I appreciate that, appreciated that intensity. Cause it's, you can't act that it's just there. You're just living in it. So, and that's one thing Mary does, you know, very well. She's very specific about the locations. I mean, I think they changed the location of my house eight times. They couldn't find the right, house and she just wanted it to be perfect and it's like this creepy old pink house that smells like when you look at it you can just smell it you know and and it's very it's huge and it's big and it's empty and so there's this one person and dog living in it and then we filmed all the attic scenes like in the actual attic and there were nails all over so i think that the environment really informs what we're telling and they just match together but that's very much mary's doing you know it's her thoughtfulness as a director during the production of the series how much of your character emma was improvised comparing it to what was scripted by ben katai i think there was, I mean, Ben's script is awesome. I, it was such, that's, I couldn't believe a man had written it actually when I read it and neither, neither did. She was like, wow, this is really impressive. His wife had just had a baby. <laughs> so it was his, his way to empathize with yeah. her. <laughs> um, so it, it was very much there, but there was a lot of room for creating this character. And so I worked with Mary and with Rory on creating a backstory for these characters. And so I don't quite know it's, it's in my brain. So I'm like, was that in the script or did we just come up with that? I don't, you know, my memory, I'm like, where, where did that start? But um, we, 
Mary's not precious about the words, but we, I mean, the structure of horror, as you guys know, is really important to keep the tension. So I think that that sort of structure is really necessary and certain plot points being divulged if it's either in language or visually. So we stuck to that, but there was a lot of flexibility in terms of going on impulse and doing what felt right. And I know the scene with uh, Michael, who plays my father, we improvised a lot of that and sort of, because it didn't feel, it felt a little stiff. So I think when something didn't feel quite right, we would improvise and, and move around it. The Boo Crew will be right back. Paramount Pictures presents Mia Farrow in a William Castle production, Rosemary's Baby. Co-starring John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, Sidney Blackmer, Morris Evans, and Ralph Bellamy. From the best-selling novel by Ira Levin. Suggested for mature audiences. Was there a scene that stuck out as challenging for you to like get into that headspace? It was heavy and there were a lot of scenes where like I thought I could never act this. If there was a day where we didn't have something absolutely absurd happening, I would go home and have so much energy. Um, <laughs> it was just I was just used to being like, OK, and, and, and what's next and what's next? There there were a bunch of days that were hard, but also rewarding because it's you don't really you're not offered that in scripts a lot of times. It's like I we had a whole day in the pool where I'm drowning take after take and then going into this cold, bloody bathroom stall. And so we had prosthetics and underwater camera work and um, puppets and all of that sort of thing. And then, of course, there was a whole week where we were outside. Most of the time I wasn't wearing any clothes. So that was also, <laughs> um, you know, and so there are these kind of out-of-body experiences where you're like, man, this is actually real this is happening <laughs> a it's traumatic pretend. experience <laughs> yeah it's pretend but this is also happening i don't know but but also mary's there and our crew i think also when it's a smaller cast you become really close with the crew and they're all there in the mud with you yeah. so you're not you're not alone <laughs> working with i mean rory Culkin and Mira Sorvino, two just next level performers. How was that experience working with them? And did you take anything away from that experience and, and learn anything about your craft for yourself? Yeah, Rory is so, he's such a wonderful person. Like he's just such a kind, kind person. And every time I've seen him, seen him in something, he's always, I, I can't take my eyes off of him. Even watching the show, you're trying to figure out exactly what is going on. And I felt that way working with him also. I, he's so mysterious that I just wanted to know what's going on inside of his brain all the time. So, but he's really like really a team player. So I think just the way he conducted himself and the choices he makes as an artist, I think he really, he, he makes interesting choices. And, um, and then Mira, She's worked for so long. I mean, she's such a legend. 
And I think also knowing the experiences that, of what she's gone through in her career, all through the Me Too movement, all of that, and seeing how she loves storytelling, loves her craft, loves her children. She's a mother. Part of what drew her to the story is she had, she has four kids and one of them was a really difficult pregnancy. So she was really interested in telling the story of a young woman who's struggling, who's all alone during her pregnancy. And um, I think she, she's also, I, I find when I work with, with actresses who've been in this business for a while, they're really good. It, it sounds technical, but I think it's really important of knowing your, knowing your body, knowing how to have yourself lit. <laughs> it's of course you, the DP knows what they're doing, but I think just not just caring about what your performance is like, but also knowing the way other people's jobs work. And like, if lighting takes more time to set up, it takes more time to set up. It's, and, and I think having, she has that respect for, for all the departments, which is, I don't, I don't, I just don't think that's talked about much. Interesting. You brought up lighting yeah. the completed project light plays such an important part in the subtleties of the anxiety. It's, it's almost lit like an Argento movie, these reds and greens, right? Yeah, I so Mary will be so happy. That was that her and Mott, the RDP, they both shaved their heads with me. It was fun. No way. Dario oh. yes, <laughs> Argento is there. That was their reference. That so. is so cool. Glad you picked up that. Do you experience that lighting and that vibe as a performer on set, or is that more in the post production process? Is lighting important to you as an actor on set that day to achieve something that they're going for? Yeah, I definitely, I mean, obviously in post and coloring, that's a whole, a whole process, but I can't remember what the name of these bulbs were, but everybody's using them now and they're wireless. So it's super, super cool. There are these light bulbs and then there's an operator and they can adjust the warmth. So like if you're filming on a trailer, you're filming a car scene and you need to have, you need to be lit from underneath. They're just magnetized. So there's like a little, and they sit right there and then they're controlled from a separate panel. It's like warm it up a little bit, or let's make this more green so you can change the whole environment. And it's not this huge lighting extravaganza. And then there also aren't all these cables for everybody walking around and you don't have to have a generator like also sitting on the, truck bed all so there's all the sort of like nerdy stuff i remember actually if the sequence when i'm going to the, the doctor's office the creepy doctor's office up the stairs and it's very red that like, the lighting is super red that was so much fun to watch mott and his whole crew light light the stairway and these different sort of reds and you actually I could see it in the monitor and I looked for it when I was watching and you could see it but it doesn't look like an unnatural light but really it's it was just part of the I gotta I'm gonna google what the name is everybody everybody's using that is so cool (laughs) that's a tremendous that's a tremendously creepy scene I remember looking at Lauren going dude when you go in there (laughs) that sequence was the that was yeah, I that was weird vibes. The whole place smelled like urine. So wait, I mean, you know, that was a practical was, set as well? All of the sets were practical. Wow. Yeah, so all of them, that was in the, the mental ward. And it was this men, it was an incontinence ward for men. 
So it smelled, I mean, it smelled just horrible the, like the whole time, even though they cleaned the building with bleach. And then there was a murder in the front room. I mean, it was just weird, weird vibes, weird stories. We all saw things moving around in different windows. It's yeah. Is it? I was really happy to leave that place. <laughs> well, I think all that stuff it worked its way into the movie because you yeah. get you get that yeah. unsettling vibe throughout the whole yeah. piece, which is a good thing in, in terms of the horror yeah. aspects of it. That's yeah. terrific. Can you speak yeah. a bit on the mechanics of the narrative qualities of Quibi and telling having to tell a story in these 10 minute segments, right? As you were saying, where it moves at such an incredibly quick pace and are there any challenges of pulling that off behind the scenes? Is there a lot of resetting? Is there a lot of movement? Each moment ends, as you're saying, with this massive cliffhanger. When you watch it, it actually like cuts right at a moment where you're just like, oh, yeah. oh, whoa, 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 keep yeah. going. Yeah, we had, so Quibi, I think the way, I, I was thinking about it because I remember it was on set. I'm like, man, I feel like it was really flying. We have a lot of stuff to cover in each day, but because of the, nature of our storytelling it's nine months it's a it's a pregnancy there's a lot of time that passes and so they're quick they're quick shots so the, sh- the scenes are shorter so i always i really looked forward to the days when we had longer scenes like there's a whole segment with rory in in the bedroom and then scene with um michael gaston who plays my father so the longer scenes i like i relished because it felt like there was like a beginning, middle and end. Whereas I think the other scenes are the most important. They just get the most important sort of pieces. Um, But I think that also adds, it adds to the pace of the the story of it just like being nonstop. So I think the only real difference that I experienced as an actor was shorter scenes and then just shorter scenes, but longer days. Like we had so much to cover in every single day because there were so many fast scenes that was about it and then also of course the quibi frame they just had to adjust it on the monitor so it's capturing a bigger a bigger frame and then they did it and edited it they adjusted in editing so you can see vertically and horizontally but like i don't think it affects our story too much as a narrative but like a show like wireless for example which is also a quibi show which i think is done super super well it's a completely different viewing experience because if you're watching it vertically you're seeing what the actor what the character sees on their phone and if you turn it horizontally you see the narrative of of the piece which is really cool so i like i like that quibi is taking they're just being very experimental i mean they have so much money (laughs) They're sort of able to try all of these different genres and they're doing reality, they're doing comedy, they're doing, and they're really letting filmmakers tell whatever stories they want, which I think is really unique right now when there's no money to make yeah. anything ever. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, because since you mentioned the uneasy uh, feeling uh, while filming in the hospital or some of the strange or paranormal occurrences while filming. I think that was probably the weirdest. We all saw, we were told that lights would turn on at the mental hospital. Like you would see sort of like flickers and different lights. And I know that's a thing. And we definitely, everybody saw it in different buildings. So we knew that we weren't crazy. (laughs) So that happened. But I'd say also, I really enjoyed, um, (laughs) it sounds weird, but the out, the very opening scene, I'm, 
naked in the woods, which was a very vulnerable experience. And I was nervous, obviously, about it. And they pumped all of this fog in. So it was super, super foggy. And it was at night. And obviously, it was freezing cold. But it was also really fun because I don't know if any of you have been naked in the woods, but I was like, this feels very freeing. I was like, this is very exciting. (laughs) I know it sounds so weird, but I thought I'll probably never do this again. It's weird that I'm on a set, but I highly recommend, I highly recommend that it's just, it's an unnat- It's a very natural, unnatural feeling. Sure. Yeah. Then next time anyone's yeah. going camping, give it a go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Right. Go for it. What is coming up next for you right now? The thing I'm working on next is called Dr. Death. Uh, it's based on a podcast with the same title by Wonderly. So I'm really looking forward to that. We, they start filming next week. So we're filming that in, in New York. And um Words on Bathroom Walls came out during quarantine, I don't know how many months ago. <laughs> and then uh, this movie, Landscape, that I did about Meyer Landscape. So. Very cool. And I got to say, before nice. we go, one of my favorite lines spoken in cinema over the past decade has got to be, how does anyone get an F and gym? I never go to F and gym from you in uh, <laughs> Down a Dark Hall. <laughs> that was awesome. That was a great line. Yeah, yeah. that was a really great line. I was like, oh, did yeah, you yeah. say that? But uh, anyway, Anna, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, yes. thank really you guys. It. Hopefully one day I can see your set. I'm so fascinated. Yeah. Yeah. Next oh time God. you're in LA, when all this is over, we'll set it up. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Amen. Awesome. Have a good one. Thanks again. Bye, guys. Thanks for watching. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 164. Special thanks to our guest, Anna Sophia Robb. Follow her at Anna Sophia Robb on Instagram and Rob Anna Sophia on Twitter. Check out The Expecting, the new series now available exclusively on the Quibi streaming service. Go to Quibi.com to grab a free trial where you can check it out. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.